From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 235, and today I'm joined by producer Leah Johnsons. Leah's been involved in such projects as Defenders, A Beginner's Guide to Endings, Cold-Blooded, The Idol of the Steel, and many, many more. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Black Christmas. I'm Jeremy, and I have not seen this version of the movie. We're watching the 19... No, sorry, the 2019 version. Yes? Yes. I think that's right. I think so. And I'm with... Leah? Uh, and you have not seen it. No, I haven't. And you picked this. I did. I did. I'm super excited about it. I have gone for years to the Royal Movie Theater to see the original Black Christmas. Yep. And often, Canadian film? Yes. By Bob, Bob Clark. Bob Clark. Which is crazy to me. I still feel like there should be a box set of Porky's, Black Christmas, and A Christmas Story. And someone should actually try and make them be a trilogy. It's tough, because the two of them are easy because of the Christmas thing. Porky, how do you fit Porky's into that? <laughs> <laughs> you put it in the middle. <laughs> Done. I, I understand. I made my own sex joke. <laughs> so at that Christmas screening, one of the highlights would be is a lot of the time you could get Art Hindle to come out in the fur coat from the original Black Christmas. And it was just added kind of an extra extra layer of fun to it. Right. You know, that was our celebrity. And, you know, and he just seemed to be having such a great time with it. So it added just a little extra to it. And uh, So you know that movie really well because you've seen it a bunch. You know, I was thinking about it and I've, part of me wanted to watch it again because it's been a couple years. And I also feel that there may or may not have been substances every time we kind of went to the Royal to watch it. So if you offered me a lot of money to write a synopsis right now, I don't know that I could other than, oh my God, that's Andrea Martin. And oh, there's Art Hindle in the yeah. coat. So I have, I have in a sorority kind of frat house thing. So I have the basics down, but I deliberately didn't want to watch it before this because I wanted to come to this one fresh and then I'm going to watch it again after. That's just it. And I, I don't know if it's up there right now, but I saw, I think I want to say, I saw it either last year or the Christmas before because the Criterion Channel, their streaming service, had it as part of their curated selection. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of things on there that aren't just their Criterion titles. They often will, for like three months at a time, license a bunch of other movies just to put into this like little collection. So they had this really obscure Christmas collection one of the years. And, and it was one of those ones where I'd never seen it. And that was the first time I realized Bob Clark directed. And I was shocked and even more excited to watch it because of that. So, but again, I don't remember. I remember like sorority. I think it was like the one detail I remember was like, they're in the house. It was, it was, it was maybe that trope or maybe that's where the, the trope was invented. Or I'm totally remembering from something else. Is the killer in the house at one point? Like they're calling oh. and they're actually upstairs. 
I think you're thinking about when a stranger calls. Maybe. But that might be also in that film. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, so all I remember is, yes, yeah, Andrew Martin, Art Hindle, and Sorority. And that's all I got. <laughs> so I'm in a great place to come in really cold. But there's also been, I'll look it up in between so when we come back. But I want to say there's at least, this is at least the second or third remake. I didn't know that. Like, I think maybe I did once upon a time. But when you asked me which version that we were going to watch, I was like, how many are there? How many Black Christmases are there? Well, because there's at least, I'm going to look it up now, I lied. But there's, because there's the original for sure. There's at least two. We know that. I, I got I, I to say there's at least three for sure. Because I think there was one made in the 90s or the 80s. No, look at this. So there's, oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? There's... Four, it looks like. So there's the original from 74. There's a 2006 remake. There's the 2019, which we're watching right now. And there's a new, there's this one that says Black Christmas, comma, 2021 remake. So it looks like there's one that's coming out this year. Oh, boy. Well, if, if they're listening to this podcast... I think that they should license Wham's Last Christmas <laughs> and change the lyrics. You know what's hilarious? My wife was, when I told her what movie we were watching tonight, that's what she did. She was singing Black Christmas as Last Christmas. So you, we're, you we're my, either the same person or we should be married to each other in a different lifetime. Right? Yeah. yeah. You, you and my wife would, would, would hang out well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so going in, so we don't know anything. So now is a good time for us to, to, to shut up and get in. All right, let's do it. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished. Ooh, we did. And there's there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there is, there is. I yeah. Where do you want to start? I don't. I I love the first like seventy five percent of this movie. Mm-hmm. At least fifty for sure. And then it felt like it just became a different movie. Yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint when did we both start yelling? This has gone off the rails. It's gone. It was off in the, the car. It was, it's when, car. it was when our hero screamed, "We have to get like, why would we go to the police when we can go get the supernatural bust?" It was like, "What the what?" And then we remembered the opening crawl, whatever it said. It, it mentioned something supernatural, and both mm-hmm. you and I were like, "What?" That taking off like audience hat. That's got to be a note from somebody who's like, you guys didn't set up any supernatural elements whatsoever. That quote had to have been a late addition based on notes. Well, I mean, it felt like they were trying to set up the supernatural with that black substance early on. So that was... But I wouldn't say that was early on. Like, it's not until they kill the one... It's not until they're in the kitchen scene and they stab the guy in the back and they notice the black stuff, right? I guess they set up the black stuff on the cat. Sure, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) where do you start? Well, I'm on one hand, I'm thrilled that the diva cup made it into a horror film. That's, that's fantastic. She was my favorite character. (laughs) And I feel bad for the woman who never got her vibrator. Oh yeah. I was, I was really hoping that would come back into play. (laughs) We wanted a kill scene with that. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I, I like what they were trying for, um, and there was a lot of really fantastic parts in this film. I guess for me, I find the whole fraternity culture is already so terrifying. I didn't need the supernatural <laughs> part of it. Well, that's just it. It's like it's almost like here's 
And here's the thing. It's like, I, I, I like what Bloomhouse is doing in terms of trying to modernize these horror films and give them like a social construct. Like, I think they did a really good job mm-hmm. with The Invisible Man. Like, that was a really, really well done. Have you seen that? I haven't. It's so, it's really well done because it's, it's kind of like a comment on the Me Too movement, right? It's really great about literally men are invisible because you can't blame them. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. But, so the problem with this one is that by adding that supernatural element, because that's not there in the original, right? No, no. no. By adding that supernatural element, you're giving an excuse for men's bad behavior. And it's not because we're possessed. Men are just shitty. You know, it's like, it's like you're giving men an out as opposed to just going, no, some men just suck. And they don't need to have a supernatural. Like, this happens. These conversations happen. There are groups mm-hmm. of men out there that do these things that don't need to be guided by some magical ooze. And just honor that. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have to be... Because the problem is what they've decided to do is go... I think in a way they're going, well, if we make them supernatural ooze, it's like then they're not real humans and it's okay to kill them because these girls aren't killing humans. They're killing like monsters. Mm-hmm. They're like literal monsters as opposed to human monsters. You know? It's almost like they're trying to... I don't know what the reasoning is. I'm trying to unpack why they do that. Because it feels like by doing that, they lessen this great setup they had. Mm-hmm. Which is this conversation about, you know, should men be canceled outright? Should certain men be canceled? Should we stop, you know, reading the classics? There's just a lot of great mm-hmm. ideas that play in here that are part of the current conversation. But then it's just like, it feels like so much of this, all of this great conversation is the first half is is taking his time to set up the second half just fucking shits on well <laughs> it's interesting because i think they're the female characters you know and i i, I loved what the the analogy of the ants you know because they were they had to bond together and and that kind of they tried to pay that off at the end <laughs> god i think i lost my track my total train of thought because I'm, I'm all of this stuff is just spinning around. Um, they they started to they started to scatter, and I think that for a movie that was really smart yeah. about injecting a lot of things, it's like when did when did the the women in this suddenly decide to start acting like the nineteen seventies women who run off and go places by themselves? It's like all of a sudden everyone who is so smart and so feminist. And so on top of their game, started behaving in those ways that you start yelling at the screen. Yeah, and it was really frustrating because, again, like the movie was doing smart things at the beginning where, you know, the girl, the first kill, she was, all the characters were being smart. And then all of a sudden the movie decided now they have to be dumb because otherwise the movie won't, won't happen. You know, it was weird. Like, even just, I don't know, it was just really upsetting because you felt like the characters were doing the smartest things they could possibly do in the situation. And then all of a sudden they didn't. Like, just that moment after they kill the first frat guy, and, and Imogene Pooch just stays. And she's like, I'm going to go to the kitchen by myself. It's like, oh, you're cool. And she just lets her. Because, I, I mean, I guess they're playing her friend as, like, shell-shocked and has been triggered by this and suddenly becomes crazy. Like, Imogene Pooch's character becomes crazy when mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. happen. Like, the way she was just haunting down whatever the fuck that street was. I'll let you talk about that. Uh, and then, and just, like, she was, just became a crazy person. Anyway, you you had an interesting observation about the locations in this movie. Well, I mean the the frat house locations were fantastic, and they yeah they looked magnificent. But there was just a very strange 
kind of like in the way Edward Scissorhands has its own little neighborhood, there was that strange bungalow strip, which felt like they they bought it out and it was some old retirement villa. And they seemingly kept running up and down that street, which didn't feel like it was a part of a city. It didn't feel like it was anywhere connected to campus. No. It just felt like it was random filming location. I'm curious where they shot this. Because they're trying to sell this as, like, not middle America because it's snow. But it's like they're trying to sell it as some kind of, um, like, almost... Like northeast coast kind yeah. of... So I'm curious where they actually place? shot it, because the original was shot here. Um, filming locations, where are you? Anyway, uh, yeah, there's just, uh, it, it was really disappointing. Cause there, and, there are, and, and, there, I mean, and they had a leeway to let some of the characters be, because they, they, they allowed some of the, the um, New Zealand, ha, <laughs> way off, shot in New Zealand. Well, there you go. Um, they were allowing some of the characters to be variations on the cliche, you know? Um, so you can let those characters be, I don't want to say dumb, but do the stupid things, right? But the, like, our two heroes who are, it was the girl who was, you know, that no one believed, that was sexually assaulted two Riley, years ago. Think, yeah, Riley think. was two. And then the other girl who was like the social crusader, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they just started making dumb moves where you're like, I don't buy, I don't buy it. I just don't buy those people are making those moves in that moment. Well, I mean, it, it felt like at a certain point in time, the the plot took over the characters rather than characters That's just driving it. the plot. Well, even the, the idea like behind the, you know, I said earlier on we were watching, like there's got to be a girl as part of like setting this up because that's how you modernize it too. Mm -hmm. You know, because Carrie always makes that comment in the opening scene about how and tries to trick them into realizing, oh, there's quotes from a woman. This super, you know, anti-feminist quote is or whatever it was is, you know, actually from a woman's point of view. And ha ha, I tricked you. Right. So I think I almost felt like that was the movie giving us a wink to something to come. Mm -hmm. But so her, so let me walk through what their plan was. They had this girl who was her, like, uh, niece or whatever they're called. Like, they called themselves aunts, right? So it was almost like the oldest sorority sisters were, like, the aunts to, like, the new pledges, right? So each of the older ones had a younger one. And, and this was Riley's younger pledge that she had to take care mm -hmm. of, right? So she's in on it, right? And they decide we're going to use you, use you as bait, This is presuming that they know Riley's going to figure out that this bust thing happened. That she's going to sneak into the room and see them. Like, why are they... What bait are they... At what point is this plan factor in where they're hiding in this room and expecting her to come in at this moment? Like, it just feels like, how did they know... Did they set all this up to get her in there? That doesn't feel like the movie was doing that. The, the, the strangest thing... And I don't, I don't want to just bag on it because I think there was a lot of there was so much good there was stuff so much good stuff and I think I think the critique for me comes from when you're in a movie and you're enjoying it and then it and then, and then it, it just goes off the rails right kind of like hope tension which is a strange example but that that movie at a certain point the climax renders the rest of the movie impossible yeah like, what just happened there 
but it was it was so strange because it's like there was a great concept in there and it doesn't mean you have to stick to the original but no you know between the politics of the day and just what goes on at frat houses and hazing and that whole uh, mob mentality there was enough you didn't need the supernatural that's just it it could have it could have just played as a slasher film and i mean for me slashers are my favorite type of horror films because how do you fuck it up by adding a supernatural element well, they really felt they needed it, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. I only think was what I was saying earlier is just like is to like give men an out, like which we don't need, you know. Like they they represented that they they let that one girl's boyfriend be like, we're not all rapists, we're not all this. Like I feel like they and and the Landon character was a decent dude too, right? Um, like I feel like they represented that well enough. I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm. I'd love to read interviews with because mm. it's female writers, female director. So I'm curious because I don't. When you walk away from this, I felt like this movie had a really strong mission statement off the top and in the first half, and then I don't know what it was in the end. Like I don't know what I'm supposed to walk away thinking about or feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're telling me that all these evil frat boys are not are just like are we're tricked into being evil. By some yeah, I think it's one of those strange movies that I think the more you think about it, actually, the more it becomes even more confusing. Yeah, because this whole—that's like, not good. Was the whole <laughs> was the whole plan in place to like? Were they trying to somehow satiate the bust or grow? Like the yeah. plan was going to involve a lot of people being dead, and I can't imagine that that would be so good for the fraternity or the university. Well, that's just it. What does the next day look like? The, the, the cops aren't going to investigate. Like they're going to hide all these murders. Like what? Yeah, what's their what's their end game for this? Because the one guy, the the actual sexual assault or rapist. I'm not. I think that's a bit of a gray zone because yeah. I'm not sure what exactly happened there. But he came back. So was that was that all going to happen? Anyway, or was that a retaliation for what what was going on? I mean, that I guess that first the first texting we saw at the beginning happened prior to the the singing and dancing. That's just right? it. So they were already in place, so the singing and dancing didn't matter. Like they didn't do it as a retaliation to that because they were doing it almost as a retaliation to the bus being moved. Right. But that's what made them. But when they moved the bus, that's how they discovered the use. Which I understand the girls doing that act triggered it all. So the idea is like, well, if they hadn't have poked the bear. But then that's a weird statement too to make. That if they hadn't have moved the bust, if the girls hadn't have shut up and not moved the bust and not, and not like poke the, you know, the status quo, then none of this would have happened. So it's almost like the movie's, like, I, that's, that's what I mean. I'm like, what is the movie trying to say? By all the things that happened, because it all came from the bus being moved, right? It's like they cracked it open and it started leaking out this ooze. That this guy hid in there for a rainy fucking day? On the off chance someone would break it open and realize what it would do? Like, we're, it's just, the movie asks so many questions that it can't possibly answer without just, and they try with, Carrie always has that speech where he tries to like explain. But also, why, this is the girl who has been against you the whole movie. Why are you trying to convert her when you just randomly murder all the other ones? Like, why this big ceremony for her other than so you can, like, monologue for the audience? <laughs> I, think, I think that's the, that's the thing that I keep coming back to, is why, 
Why did they have to make it so unnecessarily complicated? There was some great writing. There was some fantastic directing. So much character good stuff. Like, just like, I love these characters. When, when, when it became instantly obvious they were going to kill D-Cup. I can't remember her character name. I apologize to the actress playing D-Cup. But, uh. But as soon as they, they started playing, I was like, no, 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 no. I loved her. But, and that, what a great, just panning back and forth. Like, not having to, like, go into all those horror tropes. A few of which they do, but there's so many really clever, inventive sequences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great characters that it just... And, and fantastic casting. Because yes! Because what I, what I saw right from the beginning was, wow, these all look like real people. There's a, a variety of like body I mean, types. Except for Carrie Elways. Yes. Carrie Elways will always be. But the, all the frat dudes look like <laughs> frat dudes, right? Um, but also that, like we were saying, well, we can't possibly carry Elways because it's too obvious. And then it was. But it was, the, it was the entire frat. It wasn't just any one person, right? Uh, but yeah, like the, all the, the women were beautifully cast. Like they're all like various, you know, they've got a nice mixture of just different types of people. Different body types, different, you know, ethnicities. There's no gay characters. That I really thought that was going to be her boyfriend. Oh, you were going to realize he was... Well, this is the funny thing, is that the actual two guys that were the decent guys, I both read as potentially queer. Which is a weird choice, too, to make. That is, they're, they, they're meant to be obviously effeminate. In some way, right? Yeah. yeah it's interesting, no, though, because... I thought that the boyfriend, like, and like he turned on a dime the second day and something became a bit of a dick. But then later on, I guess, with Landon, they explained that migraine thing was something these guys can do. They also have this magic ability to cause migraines in men that turn them into assholes. It's like, but it's, that's just it. It's like, what are you, I don't know the rules of this world. Like, you put, you put, because of this late, I realized like there's little setups. They put that opening card up. The cat's got the black shit on it. She saw. She opens the door. Witnesses this super fucked up ceremony. Nobody notices. She comes in for a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's like it's not a like I I I don't want to be spoon fed everything, but I need enough not to have to have this conversation after. <laughs> well, I yeah, I think that's the frustrating thing is that. I think this director and and the writer, like I think they did they did so many things right, but it feels like it was overdeveloped. Yeah, you know that there was maybe too many people giving notes or something like that. You need this, you need that, and maybe maybe that didn't happen. But it just it was so unnecessarily complicated. And just trust yourself and trust the amazing setup and the cast and the the scenery and just the horror of everyday life. That you don't need to trip up over, yeah. over black ooze and busts. Keep it simple. And yeah. keep it simple. You said life is scary enough. We don't need to like create black ooze. And that's why it's called Black Christmas, I guess. In this version, <laughs> is that the reason? Oh, <laughs> I, I like. There's so much. Like, like I said, there's so much to like. Like you said, the great writing, great characters, great casting. I loved like when they. I love that really that moment when the security guard shows up. You think to their rescue, and then he goes to another sorority house, and you realize, oh fuck, this is happening. I guess just the two of them, but you're like, this is happening everywhere, and then you're expecting it to be flooded. And I was like, I love that idea. Like, oh my god, we're opening up the world, and there's this whole other story Mm -hmm. going on over here that we don't even know about. I love that concept, but then I also felt like that was like a last minute thing that could have been they they could have done more with that too. 
Yeah, I mean... Because then it's like, are they just killing all women? See, I think I would have cut that part out. Because to me, then it starts to... Like, it starts to well, spread out people, like the invitation. They needed people for their army. Well, that's, <laughs> I guess that's the, the end. thing. It's like that... It, it kind of straddled between Riley's story and then all of womankind, that's I just, guess. And I, like, I think the ant analogy was really cool, but on one hand, like, did we need this this big battle royale at the sorority end sorority versus frat well usually usually <laughs> you would set it up in terms of like the problem is that these women are all not they're not supporting each other and they're it's like the crab in the bucket pulling yeah. each other down so then they need to come together but they were already pretty much coming together with the exception of maybe one or two so well, it was just riley didn't want I, her arc was that she didn't want to stand up because she did once and they didn't believe her but then she's, she flip-flopped back and forth the entire movie. And not in a way that it's like, oh, she's testing that and failing. It was just like, she felt inconsistent in terms of where... I didn't know where she was at sometimes. It felt like she was where the movie needed her to be for that part of the story. Mm-hmm. So that she could have a fight with her friend. Or not, right? Yeah, that car- I gave her a bit more leeway, I think. Because I was thinking maybe in terms of being a being sexually assaulted yep, yep, yep. that perhaps that flip-flop and that unpredictability might be a, a result of the trauma yeah but it's also it felt like that was the only character that trope not trope but character like thing they gave her to do was to be damaged you know yeah. and it just felt like for a movie that's trying to be as progressive as it is it I, it's it's tough because it works i get why they do it but it's also one of those things where it felt like they like I think the characters were elevated beyond tropes for the most part. Mm-hmm. I thought they, except for the frat guys, they were pretty tropey. <laughs> um, but that's just it. It's like let's see a little because they are doing this great modernized thing. Let's see a little more nuance in every capacity, right? Well, you know, it's funny because when you're saying modernize, it felt actually to me like it was going back to like a '90s kind of like there felt like that old. It felt retro. In terms of that cult hazing kind of thing. And yeah, that, yeah. that's what took it to a movie that I felt I had almost seen before in some ways. With with updated, you know, feminist ideals and some and saying some really great things. Yeah. So what are some of your, like, favorite slasher movies? Well, I mean, I for me, the original Halloween. Okay. Every time. I watch it every year and there's so much fun to be had. And I don't, I don't necessarily care for all of them, but... Have you seen the new ones? I have. I haven't seen the latest one, though. It's it's rough. Which is so upsetting because the the first new one mm-hmm. that was like 2018 or something, was I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And this one felt like a weird second one. See, I think, you know, people get so complicated about things and it doesn't need to be that way. No. You know, I... Now, I... It's not... I can't... I haven't seen it in a long time. But, I mean, the sheer premise of When a Stranger Calls is one of the best... You know, urban legend slash movies to to think that that call's coming from inside the house. You know, and that's that's all you need. You know, and I think there was a fantastic uh, French film called L'Interior. Um, and I don't know if they remade it as Inside or they just gave the English language title. But you know, you have a, a woman who is really pregnant and um, she has to go in to the hospital the next day to get induced. And so she has one last night at home before she's bringing a baby into the world. And someone knocks at the door 
and they want that baby. That's and, instantly terrifying. And yeah, and you have this crazy cat and mouse chase. There's no supernatural except for like maybe one weird blip, but it's like that that's the that to me is the best kind of of filmmaking for a slasher film when you don't you don't stretch the premise too far. You just go to that really, really primal place. She, and she's also, so it's like, yeah, and it's like she's primal because she's a mother about to give birth. She's also, like, not equipped to fight people off because she's nine months pregnant. You know? It's like, instantly, oh, there's so many. It's great. Oh, I need to see this movie. I've never seen it. It's fucked up. I bet. Oh. But even, like, you, I think of, like, the similar to that is, like, The Quiet Place. Or A Quiet Place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Blunt's character is super pregnant, too, and it's a world where people can't. You know, yeah. you can't make noises. There's some dumb stuffs, arguably, in that movie where you're like, why would you do that? But that said, like, the first time I watched that, I was just like, oh, this is brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. it's so smart to, you know, the complications they give themselves, all these things. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just too bad. It's just too bad when a movie starts off, like, this one's so smart, and then just, like, lo- it's, it's just, like, I think it's to your point, it's almost, it feels like, the first half was purely the filmmakers, and the second half was like note note central of going. Now we got to turn into a horror movie, you know. We got to do our thing, setting up and doing all that modernization to bring it up to date. Now we got to pay it off, but then it just didn't. Also, didn't stick that. It didn't stick the landing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like for me, there's parts of this when you mentioned the '90s thing. Like it reminded me of Scream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like the first time I saw Scream, it was just like, I, I probably watched it 20 more times right after because I loved it so much, right? It was just, it was a smart deconstruction of just the horror genre at the time. And it reinvented the slasher genre, ironically, by making fun of it, right? Uh, to the point where we're getting a new Scream in a month, mm-hmm. I think, right? Uh, in January, there's another one coming out, which I will go see because take my money. I will always go see a Scream movie. No matter how good or bad they are. Did you see the new Slumber Party Massacre? No. Well, Danishka Esterhazy directed it, and she's fantastic. And there's a similar vibe to Black Christmas in that it's a, it, it's got a very strong feminist message, and it's got a great diverse cast. And uh, there's definitely there's they act the characters actually joke about toxic masculinity right in it. So it's it's fun. Like I think there it's an interesting there's an interesting wave right now. Yeah. Which is which is really exciting. Well, it's a smart way to reinvent these things, right? Where it's like, you know, you you get a play, it's there's so much of the culture, the idea of like women being victims and literally that's all they are in these movies from the get go from you know, from the old ways. So there's so if you're smart, there's a way to really turn that on its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that movie, does that movie, is that consistent throughout or does it take weird turns? No, I think, I think it's, it's, it's consistent. It's so it's, consistent. it's the version that it's, it's what this movie kind of wanted to be. Okay, I cool. So. All right. I will. And that's like what, the last couple of years or so? No, it just came out this year. Oh, like, okay. Literally it's out. I, I watched it last month. For Hot Halloween. tip. <laughs> You're a big horror nerd then. I am. Nice. I am. I haven't, I haven't watched as much lately as I'd like to, but, um. Yeah, but there's no there's no better feeling than just watching, watching something getting your heart race, and uh, not having it be work related. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a whole different kind of anxiety. That happens for enough. Do you have like besides Halloween? Do you have like ones, that, certain ones that you go to every Halloween? 
Well, Halloween is the one I watch every Halloween, but I think that um, one of my other favorite horror films is Session 9. Okay. Have you seen that? Brad Anderson did it. I think it was one of the first that they filmed in, um, in, on video, but um, it takes place at an abandoned asylum. Which was a real asylum. Okay. No, I don't think I have seen it. I, I, I almost thought it was something else, but it's, it's a similar David title. David Caruso's but... in it, which means trouble. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> you, you know there's going to be a problem, and Peter Mullen is in it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's got a fantastic cast, and it's really creepy as all hell. Okay. And the location, you know, is, is spectacular. Nice. Yeah, for me, for horror, I just want, like, good, fun... I want characters that are always that are doing the smartest thing they can possibly do, at the time. Uh, I want the movie just to be smart, right? But then I also want big fun kills mm-hmm. and big fun moments that I don't see. I want a little jump. I got. I there was at least two jump scares in here that got me, um, and I'm always very proud because I always ex- think I know when the jump scare is coming and I can brace myself. So when it really gets me, I'm very excited. Uh, I love that moment in this one when. Uh, when they're crawling around and they just it on just that ki- on the, the kitchen counter just and it was so oh, smart because yeah. the, and again there's such great direction in here when it's working mm-hmm. it was just this nice slow reveal of that where you're all like just the framing of the of the shot you're just you're focusing on her and then you just it's just slowly creeping up and you're going oh fuck you know it's it, the the time i can't imagine how many takes they had to do just to get like the way the camera, like the speed of her moving versus mm-hmm. the camera pulling back to the slight pan up, it was just perfection. You know that that to me, I just look at that and it, it seems so effortless. But mm-hmm. I can't imagine how many times they had to do that before. Like, is this the right one? Is this the right amount of time? And then knowing that it's like, well, what's the music going to do here to like help it or hurt? You know, uh, I really admired that kind of stuff in this movie, and I, I admired little moments too that. Or like them when they all have their cell phones out uh, and they're texting and it's like, come down and get me, fucktard. And then the arrow comes through right away. And I was like, yes! Like, I love it when that kind of thing's happen mm-hmm. in a movie when a character demands something and then it, it totally turns on their head instantly. You know, the boyfriend had that great moment too when he's like, get out here, you, you know, stop, stop hiding, you pussy or whatever he calls them. And then it instant arrow through the head. <laughs> Hey, what happened to the woman who was killed at the beginning of the film? Well, same as the second. Oh, the second friend. No. Yeah, the second friend was the one that was in on it. Uh, unclear. They don't. They just don't find her body. Hmm. Uh, same as they don't really find D-Cup either. No one ever stumbles upon her. The first one they find is the, um, the girl with the lights. Well, it, see, but by that point, they already know something's up. I feel like the the kill with the girl with the lights was... I mean, it was a great throwback, I think, to a moment in the original Black Christmas, if I remember, in terms of being up in the attic. But there was such a sense of staging there. It was like the the frat boy who did that, he had a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. Because the rest, the rest of the people were just kind of killed, right? Like, they weren't... I think they so. They weren't made into installations. No. Like, that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's just it. Like, I love the snow angel. The opening with that little snow angel the girl makes when she stabbed with the icicle. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was smart and clever, and I, I hadn't seen that before. Um, but, yeah, it's just... but I, And I was really enjoying... I kind of like that. It's like, oh, they killed her. Nobody knows. They kill... The second girl disappears. And then um, the D-cup girl. I was like, again, smart killer, too. Like, not leaving bodies to be found. 
No, like just he's gonna pick them off one by one, and it was almost like he had picked one, like he knew their travel itinerary, uh, so that he could pick off ones that people weren't expecting that had already gone home. You should just call her Diva Cup Girl, because he called her D Cup. I keep on saying D Cup. I just feel like, like there's some like big bazongas just like in that old 70s Diva style. <laughs> I apologize for the Diva Cup users out there and the actress playing Diva Cup. I keep on saying D Cup, but yeah, it so it's a. It was. I like that, and then again, it's just everything's went off the rails, and I still don't know what their, like, yeah, like you said, what their plan was for the next day when all these bodies are found or all these women are missing, reported missing. Well, you know, I think to, we talk about going off the rails, but just to backtrack again, when we read that credit, um, that right off the top, we knew something. We knew something was happening. Oh, that opening crawl. Yeah, and it was. It made no sense, and it told us exactly. Yeah, you know, oh, what was happening? So I mean, they planted the seed. We just didn't want to. Well, to we the point when it, when it did happen, we went. We're like, okay, yeah, they did. They did make that thing, but it still felt like it felt like that was a band aid that they they added to the front so that they could go. No, we set it up. You know, in case you miss the the blood, the not the blood, but the black the ooze on the cat. It's just I think it just boils down to what you said. It didn't need it. You know, it doesn't require. Anything crazy to explain this kind of crazy behavior. Um, but I also thought they could have subverted a little bit too. So it's not all just like a crazy frat. It's it's just, you know, you could have other things going on in it. It's just, I don't know. The movie, it was so smart in so many ways and just kind of dumb in other ways. And it was just, it just kind of made me sad. That's all. It just made me sad because I'm like, I, I, I felt like it was doing so well, and I was like halfway through. I'm like, this is one of my new favorite horror films because mm-hmm. it was so smart, and then it just felt like the back half was written by somebody else. Yeah, when they sang that Christmas song, Blown that away. was that was jaw dropping. It was like, oh, this is the movie we're in for. Yeah, and that that was a great that was a great reversal because I was thinking, what is this movie where it has these great feminist characters? Why are they dancing? And they're dressed these... up in those costumes, and then it made sense. Yeah, and then then it was like fist pump. I'm on this ride. Yeah, until the rails. Until but the like rails. you said, it's like but people were already gunning for them before they did that. So it's not like that was an inciting incident that I don't want to say justified, but caused the the frat to go after them. They were already, they had already in theory, they already killed one of the girls. Yeah. Uh, and were well under their way to start killing the others. Right. Fuck. So sad. (laughs) Well, let's, let's imagine what happens to tuition fees next year at Hawthorne. (laughs) (laughs) That's just it. It's like it's not that that school's not that school's closed. That that plan is not going to do well for getting new kids there. No, it just doesn't make. And that's again, it's one of those dumb things. I'm like, I don't understand the movie's point. Like, how how is any of these people getting away with it? What I thought was going to happen at the end, because uh, they just end on that shot moving into Imogene Poots, and it just and it's like the fire is reflecting in her face. I thought it was going to turn to this thing where it was like the next day all like you know the police swarm the FBI is there whatever they're like doing all the stuff and they go the girls clearly planned this from the get go and it's like and the girl and they didn't believe the girls that the guys attacked them and they just thought the girls 
set this all up so they could murder a bunch of frat boys and get away with it. And I was like, and that would have been a really smart, dark ending that spoke to the, that went back and reiterated the theme of like the the idea of a woman not listened to that they don't believe them, Mm -hmm. right? That they'd stage this elaborate thing. Like we just watched what happened, but then the idea is like, well, no, the girls all survived and look how many there are. And they burnt the place down. They clearly staged all this and killed some of their own friends to make it look just so they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's where I kind of thought it was going to go to maybe bring it back around and have a really dark ending so the girls, even though they win, they lose. I don't know. That would have been, I think, more satisfying to mm-hmm. me because it was just like playing to the darkness of it where I don't know what this ending is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, what I, the other way you could go was to have the guys have to explain something you know like to have a final guy survivor you know if it was the rapist or whatnot and carry always and 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 have them try and explain something and have and not be believed oh wouldn't have been great if it ended on this giant like mansplaining monologue (laughs) (laughs) that's what you're missing from this movie was mansplaining (laughs) they could get jordan peterson to do the voiceover it'd be great amazing well any final thoughts on Black Christmas? No. No, I think I need to go see the original again. Yeah. And, uh, to cleanse the palate? Well, no, no. I mean, I think there's there was a lot of... I'm really happy that I saw this. I'm happy that I saw it with you. Yeah. It's such a fun... I enjoyed so much of it. It's a fun ride yeah. with Black Ooze. It's definitely interesting to watch. And I want to read up more on like the filmmaker's thoughts and ideas. Because I, I want to believe that... I don't know. I just want... I wanted the movie to be better. Because it was started so well. And I want to believe they had, like, good intentions. I think they did. I think what I want to read is, like, them shitting on one of the execs and being like, they fucked it up. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. I want to hear that because I believe in that creative team that they were doing. They were on the path to something. And something derailed it. And I want to know what it was. Anyway, I will do my own investigation. But thank you for for coming here and, and spreading some Christmas joy. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. It was a real treat. Happy holidays. Let's all go to Thanks for joining us for Black Christmas. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at LonJeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.